3: hello hi this is let's talk about myths baby i'm Liv. you probably know me already but to anyone new who's listening hi this is the podcast where i tell you stories from greek mythology and point out how batshit fucking crazy it all was in addition to how much rampant misogyny exists in these stories because patriarchy first i just wanted to address a comment i appear to have made way, way back in the episode I did on Cadmus and the founding of Thebes. Did I say that I thought the Phoenician people of that myth were, in fact, mythical? Apparently. Do I actually think that? No. I'm not sure why I did in that moment. It was a momentary lapse of sanity, apparently. Anyway, to everyone still letting me know that I'm wrong... I know, thank you though, I definitely know the Phoenicians were real, because I definitely know that Carthage was real, and super historically important. So anyway, apologies for that, I definitely know they're real. With that out of the way, today we're delving straight back into the Iliad, because as I mentioned two episodes ago, I keep thinking we'll only have a few more episodes, and then one episode spans only three pages of the Iliad, and spoilers, it's a long fucking epic poem so here we are. This is episode 31, The Iliad, part 5, the immortal and dysfunctional family of the gods. We'll begin by going back to the beginning for one particular hero who's featured pretty prominently recently, Aeneas. Where does he come from, you ask? And how is it that he's the son of Aphrodite? Let me tell you. Anchises was a mortal man, a Trojan. He tended to cattle in the hills above Troy. A simple life. And you see, back then, Aphrodite was one of the few Olympians who had yet to fall for a human. This was before Adonis, of course, and Aphrodite had tended to stick to the gods and the like. I'm not sure if she just had more sense than the rest of the gods and realized this would inevitably cause major trouble, or if that special human someone just hadn't come along. But the point is, Aphrodite had stuck to those she had something in common with, immortality. Though she had stayed away from humans herself, Aphrodite had not been shy about setting her sights on setting up unions between gods and humans. She is the goddess of love, after all. And so because of that, most, if not all, relationships are in part thanks to her. It's because of this pseudo-credit for things she had nothing to do with that Zeus became angry. Good old Zeus was a little annoyed that so many of his unions with humans had ended so badly. And guess what? He blamed a woman. It's weird, I know. It's not as if he's awful and raped everyone and fucked with everyone's lives all on his own accord. Oh no. It's a woman's fault. It always is. So Zeus was annoyed with Aphrodite for his own goddamn mistakes and he wanted to punish her. Zeus is really great, guys, and women were treated super well, just all around. Zeus selected Enchises of Troy to be the one he used to punish Aphrodite. He used his Zeusfulness to make Enchises irresistible to Aphrodite. And of course, this worked because he's Zeus and women are feeble creatures. When Aphrodite saw Anchises, she fell for him immediately. She knew she had to hit that. So she went back to her temple on Cyprus, and she had the graces rub her down in oils of all kinds and perfumes, and basically they just made her supremely irresistible. As if she's not already, as, you know, the straight-up goddess of love. Once she was ready to go, Aphrodite went to Troy and she found Anchises, Of course, Anchises didn't know who he was looking at. He thought he was looking at a super-hot, young virgin. Because, you know, that's what men require. It's only fair. Anchises saw her, and, smart as he is, assumed she must be one of the goddesses. Or at least a nymph. But Aphrodite persisted with her charade, and she explicitly told him, No, I'm a mortal, and my mother was a mortal, and so on. The lie was deep. In fact, she had a very extensive story, including multiple different groups of people that lived in the region at the time, she was apparently born in one place but raised in another, and then taken by Hermes and brought everywhere imaginable. This was the story she told Enchizis in great detail. Then, she told him, "'Hermes told me that I would be able to go back to Earth and that I would find you, Enchizis, and as your wife I'll bear you children.'" Basically, she made it so that Enkizis just could not refuse. Not that he necessarily would have, even if she hadn't told such an extensive story. But she ensured he wouldn't. It was fate. It was destiny. They're meant to be. After this epic speech, Enkizis was all over this hot virgin, and they got to business. (laughs) So, of course, this is all to say that Aphrodite straight-up tricked Enkizzie's into sleeping with her. Definitely a major issue with consent in this story, and here's where I'm a broken record, because you want to take a wild guess why this woman used such extensive lies to trick this man into sleeping with her? Because it's a story almost certainly perpetuated by men! Shocker. And that's not to say that the only crime here is that she tricked him. Because, well, after N'Kizzis had fallen to sleep, Aphrodite then transforms herself back into, well, herself. And she wakes N'Kizzis up. She tells him, basically, Take a look, Kizzies, Is this who you thought you were fucking last night? Like, I don't know if she was having fun with this or what, but it's pretty dark. N'Kizzis wakes up is sufficiently surprised about what is being revealed to him, and he panics. He panics because something you'll learn from this story, and frankly I'm not sure any others in mythology, is that apparently, if a mortal has sex with a god, they never regain their full, to use their word, potency. Potency. Of course, this has never been mentioned before because the mortals ruined by gods are almost exclusively women. And so, you know, they don't have anything to worry about. Women can't be ruined by rape. No, it's men that are really hard up. Or rather, never to be hard up again if they sleep with a goddess. And so that is why Anchises is so worked up. Because he's worried he'll never be able to get it up again. He basically asks her to kill him or make him immortal because he doesn't want to live among mortals in this state. He's been ruined. But Aphrodite tells him, don't you worry, you may be totally impotent from now on, but I'm going to bear you a son so it will to be totally fine. I'm going to bear you a son who will rule among the Trojans and who will be one of an endless generation. His name will be Aeneas. And after this epic speech and Aphrodite has left in Chizis, He goes around and brags about who he'd just banged and ends up being injured by the gods and permanently disabled because of it. So, you know, heartwarming story. Honestly, this is a really good example of the ways in which the women were not even like the gods in the way they ruined humans. It's like Zeus is rapey and awful but he doesn't go to such lengths i mean you know shower of gold and everything but doesn't tell these sort of in-depth lies in the same way that aphrodite does and it's because women back then were out to trick men or so the men thought they the women were the enemies in a totally different way and it shows in these stories it shows that the women didn't come up with these stories because My God, no one would go to such an extent to sleep with a man. Like, she doesn't need it that bad, let's be perfectly honest. And with that story of the birth and origin of Aeneas out of the way, where we last left off the rest of our intrepid Trojan warriors, well, Aeneas had just been whisked off the battlefield by Apollo after Diomedes had lost his damn shit trying to attack both Aeneas and Aphrodite and basically everyone else because Diomedes is absolutely so and kind of rolling on whatever goddessy drug Athena gave him in an attempt to get back at Aphrodite for who knows what. Because that's just what Athena does. Meanwhile, Sarpedon of- is that how I pronounced it last time? Sarpedon? Did I say it last time? Anyway, this guy of Lycia lectures Hector. Poor Hector really gets the brunt of everything in this war, and it was his dumb baby brother who caused the whole damn thing in the first place. It's not his fault. Anyway, Sarpedon points out to Hector that it's only him on the battlefield, not his brothers or his brothers-in-law, who are supposed to be the ones fighting this damn war. No, it's just Hector and all the allies who traveled from far and wide to defend Troy, but who really didn't have to. They did it because they're good people, Sarpedon tells Hector, but he needs to live up to his side of the bargain. Hector is pretty affected by this, so he proceeds to race through the ranks of the Trojan allies, trying to psych everyone up, get them roused and ready to fight off the damn Greeks. At the same time, Ares turns the tide against the Greeks as much as he can. He's been told by Apollo what was going on with Diomedes, and they both know that it was Athena's doing, that she was helping the Greeks. So they help the Trojans. Meanwhile, Apollo went to where he'd stashed Aeneas and makes him strong again, and sends him back to the Trojans, raring to go. At the same time, Agamemnon is psyching up the Greeks. Both sides are ready to fight. With a single throw, Agamemnon throws a spear that pierces the shield of one of the Trojans, a well-respected gentleman, and the spear goes right through the shield and into the guy, and BAM! Dead both sides kill, bloody details come in spades. At one point, Sarpedon, son of Zeus, faces off against a young man whose name I won't pronounce, but who is himself a son of Heracles. And boy, do the insults fly. Son of Zeus versus grandson of Zeus, and does the grandson ever have opinions? He tells Sarpedon that he doesn't even really believe that he's a son of Zeus because he's just so much less impressive than the gods' mortal sons from earlier generations. I mean, he says, man, are you different from how people described my own father, Heracles? He name drops his father a ton. I mean, I guess that's what you do if your dad is Heracles. But still, it gets snippy, to say the least. And after they've snipped and snapped at each other, both men throw their spears. Sarpedon's hits Heracles' son right in the throat and goes straight through. Ouch. And Heracles' son's spear hits Sarpedon in the thigh. Not good, but not nearly so bad as the throat. So who's the best child of Zeus now, man whose name I won't pronounce? The Trojan allies carry Sarpedon off, but some of the Greeks have noticed what just went down, and they're really pissed when one of their famous guys was killed in such a manner. They slaughter all the Trojan captives they have, and it's not pretty. Hector spots them doing that and makes his way through their ranks, killing as many as he can. As he goes, Sarpedon spots him and asks him to stop. He asks him to save him, to bring him into the walls of Troy so he can die from his thigh wound there since he can't make it home to his wife and child. Quite the sob story. And Hector straight up ignores him, moving into the Greeks and killing them left, right, and center. Meanwhile, the Trojans who are with Sarpedon pull the spear from his thigh, and he dies in a most dramatic fashion. Hera is watching all of this go down, and she's not happy. She's seeing the Greeks be decimated by Hector, and she panics. She goes to Athena and tells her they have to do something. They can't let Ares get away with this. They promised Menelaus that he would plunder Troy, and look what's happening now. So together, these two goddesses make preparations. They ready a chariot, and Athena gets in all her war gear. She puts on Zeus's own armor, and she gets her shield with Medusa's face roaring from the front. And she makes herself as scary as is possible. And the two women go to see Zeus, where Hera calls him out on why he's not helping. Doesn't he see what Ares is doing, helping the Trojans win? She asks him if she can go and wound Ares to stop him from this madness. It's God against God to the nth degree. Zeus says that's totally cool. Obviously she can go wound their son. Why ever not? He says that she can send Athena against him, because she, more than anyone, knows how to cause him pain. Super nice family, these Olympians. So off, Athena and Hera go.
0: Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee.
3: Hera and Athena make their way right into the Greek camp, where they disguise themselves as Greek men. Hera yells at the assembled Greeks, calling them frauds and cowards for how they're letting the Trojans win. Athena, meanwhile, goes right to good old Diomedes. Oh, Diomedes, so chill. Athena finds him hiding out, dealing with that bad wound he was given when we last saw the madman. And Athena basically asks him what he's doing after telling him how amazing he is. And he explains that he fell back because she told him not to fight any gods except Aphrodite and Ares was out there running amok. Athena first refers to Diomedes as, quote, joy of my heart. Before telling him not to worry, she's helping him now so he doesn't need to fear Ares or any other god. Go right at him, she says. Close in and hit him hard. Athena is hard fucking core in the Iliad. She says to Diomedes, quote, Don't be awed by this raging madman, a monster of violence, a brazen and two-faced liar, who a while ago made a promise to me and Hera that he would stand by the Greeks and fight the Trojans, yet now he is fighting on their side, forgetting his pledge. Basically she's saying, fuck Ares. Fuck him up, Diomedes. Ah, familial affection. Athena pulls Diomedes to his feet, and together they get in her chariot to ride out against Ares. But Athena pulls on Hades' helmet of invisibility, so that Ares thinks that it's only Diomedes coming at him. Seriously, so much intrigue in this story. So Ares thinks Diomedes is charging alone in a chariot towards him, so he stops what he's doing and prepares to fight. When the chariot gets close enough, Ares lunges at it and throws his spear at Diomedes. Diomedes. But invisible Athena grabs it out of the air and throws it away, making it useless but somehow not alerting Ares to maybe there's more to this outfit than meets the eye. Diomedes throws his spear and now Athena guides it straight into Ares' stomach. It tears into his flesh before Athena rips it back out again, all the while still invisible. Ares screams out in pain and, let's be honest, probably a bit of confusion and anger. I mean, this isn't supposed to be happening. He's Ares, after all. He's the god of war. And what is happening right now that not only did his spear miss its target so royally, but he himself has been stabbed and is in considerable pain? Something is definitely amiss for poor Ares. With that, Ares whirls himself up into a tornado-style spiral of dark clouds and spinning black air, and he shoots himself up into the sky and back to the safety of Mount Olympus. When Ares arrives back on Mount Olympus, he goes straight to Zeus. He's angry, and he's in pain, and he shows Zeus his oozing, bloody wound. Which is actually not blood when it comes to the gods. The Greek gods bleed something called ichor. It's like blood, but because they're immortal, it's not fatal, just maddening and kind of gross. Ares shows his father, Zeus, his wound, and asks him how he's not mad about what's happening. He tells Zeus, quote, We hold it against you that you are so damned indulgent with your crazy daughter who always commits such outrage. So Ares is really pissed at his little sister, and I don't blame him. Athena's being a bit crazy, and she is causing an unreal amount of trouble. But that again, it's Athena, and I think we all remember last episode. Ares points out that he and all the other gods are subjects of Zeus. What he says goes. But that that doesn't apply to Athena. She can do whatever she wants. She is, of course, Zeus's obvious favorite. Ares complains quite a bit about Athena, calling Zeus out on his favoritism and connecting it with the fact that Zeus considers Athena to be his daughter alone. Ares calls her violent and reckless and claims that Zeus encourages her behavior when he punishes the other gods for far less. When Ares is finished, Zeus responds, He doesn't take it well. He calls Ares a whiner and a liar, claims that he's far more hateful than any other of the gods, and that it's him and his mother Hera who are really causing all the trouble. Zeus brings up that he's unable to control Hera, no matter how hard he tries. Which, way to fucking go, Hera. He can't control you? Fuck that shit. But then Zeus comes around just a bit, saying even though he does blame Ares and Hera and that they're basically the worst, still, he can't let this type of thing keep happening. Ares is his child, after all, he says finally, and so he will help. But, he says, quote, If any other immortal god had given birth to a killer like you, you would long ago have been buried far below Hades, deeper than any titan. So, fatherly love at its very best. With that affectionate and beautiful sentiment, Zeus has Ares' wounds healed up all nice, and Ares sits down next to Zeus on Mount Olympus, feeling pretty good about himself. And Athena and Hera return to the mountain, they too feeling pretty good about themselves, because they'd put a stop to Ares' involvement in the whole matter. I posted on Instagram the other day that I was working on this episode and that the only description I could give was Deus Ex Machina. I don't know if everyone understands that, but basically it's Latin for a Greek term that was used back when they were writing Greek dramas. It just means basically gods in the machine. It was used in the ancient Greek dramas by, you know, Aeschylus and Euripides and Sophocles and all them. Basically, at the end of something, the gods would show up and just clean it all up. This isn't really the case here because it's not the end and nothing's finished, but it's still a really good example of the gods coming in and just kind of fucking with shit. Maybe it's not deus ex machina so much as deus fucks up the machina. (laughs) That's not good. That's not Latin. Don't quote me on that. The point is, it's a great example of literature of the ancient world where The gods come in and just, like, make crazy shit happen. (laughs) But that's the Trojan War for you. Gods and humans fucking shit up. I don't know if you can hear uh, my cat or one of the cats that I currently live with eating food in the background, and I apologize if you can, but I can't stop him. Back to it, it's still early days in the Trojan War, I've only gotten to book six, and well, there are 24 books in the Iliad. But at this point, what I think is interesting, and I'm certainly not the first to raise this by any means, is the idea that this is the first major piece of writing about war, like ever, as far as I know. And it's not about a righteous or particularly valiant war. It's about a useless, never-ending war that is happening because of something that happened so many years prior and that so few people involved in the actual fighting have any stake in. And it's made so much worse by the gods just coming in and using the war to play out their petty squabbles between them. Like, they don't care what happens to the actual people. They're just mad at each other and using the two sides to fight it out. It's an ancient retelling of a war that ultimately had no true purpose. It ruined an entire civilization, killed heroes upon heroes upon heroes, and for what? Anyway, we'll get more into that as we go along, but the whole thing is fascinating, mostly because the goddamn ancient Greeks are so fascinating. I don't even know how to handle those people. I just love them so damn much. (laughs) Thank you all for listening. As usual, I'd love a review, rating, follow, whatever. It's all great. Makes me happy. You can check out my website for some Nerdy as fuck merch and ways to help me out if you want slash love me. You're all magnificent and wonderful, and I'm Liv, and I love this shit.
0: Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring